everyone, to this episode of the Superhero FX Podcast. My name is Matthew, I'm one of your hosts. Uh, joining me on the line is Jacob, our other co-host. And today we're talking about a, a really fun topic, and, and that's part of why we're jumping into it. We're going to be talking about the movie Thor Ragnarok. Um, it is a, uh, a movie that I thought, I think a lot of people thought of as uh, kind of a, a fluff, more candy piece, uh, although a great one. Um, and we're going to be talking both about some issues that, that um, there are to, to explore in the movie, and also just what is the value of having some movies that aren't necessarily the deepest and most ethically laden in the world, but are just good, fun movies. So I'm looking forward to this. We have a lot to kind of jump into. Um, Jacob, how are you doing today? How are you, how are you feeling about this topic? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm also looking forward to this. Uh, there's been a, a lot of, shall we say, heavier material I've had to deal with recently. And so being able to engage on something that, it, you know, there's not a whole lot at stake when talking mm-hmm. about Thor Ragnarok, and there's not a whole lot of, um, I'm not going to say there's not a whole lot of depth, but there's not a lot of, like, really heavy uh, intellectual yeah. <laughs> issues that come up as over the course of this. And, and that's what, part of what we're talking about, is is where is the value to that? I think, obviously, you and I both love the movies that we walk out of going, oh, God, I don't know who is the hero. I don't know what I think. I don't know. I, I need to sit and process that movie for hours. That's great, but I don't think I can watch that kind of movie all the time, and I'm sure you feel the same way. Um, so let me just start by jumping right into what were your overall thoughts about the movie? How would you feel about it? Well, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, it was... I think actually, I when we were talking about this uh, on a separate occasion, you mentioned that it was something like it was akin to candy. Yeah. Uh, and I've, I very much felt that way about it. That it was um, that was just a very enjoyable experience. There was uh, really like the humor in the film in yeah. particular. I thought that was very well executed, uh, more so than in the original Thor or than in Dark World. I really felt like it did a good job of not taking itself. Uh, very seriously and not needing to take itself very seriously. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. I mean, I I walked out of the movie not even thinking, wow, I have no question to think about. I just walked out of that movie thinking, I haven't had that much fun at the movie theater in a long time. Um, it reminded me a lot of Guardians of the Galaxy and some other kind of movies like that. Though even that, I think, um, although incredibly humorous, this movie just seemed, it wasn't, because it wasn't just the humor it was the spectacle of it. You know, it, it felt like, first of all, it, it did so much to evoke the, my childhood and I think somewhat yours of the 80s and just sort of the, the comic book nature of that time. But it also just felt like some kind of like rock opera. You know, the whole thing was just huge spectacle, huge explosions, huge fight scenes, plot. Who needs really a plot? We, I mean, there was some kind of a plot, but, but really let's just get to the next great scene. Um, and in some ways, it just felt really refreshing to have that because because uh, uh, you know we don't get that as often. Yeah, and, and one of the things uh, as well that that I really enjoyed is that I really like it when movies of this nature um, make it a point to take a uh, a main character that is you know larger than life and really kind of make them you know th- th- we make them petty or we yeah. give them uh, traits or ticks that are a little more humanizing. Uh, so some of the things they did with Thor in the movie, in particular, his his clearly bruised ego uh, uh-huh. with regards to uh, the Hulk, and which of them is is the the strongest member of the Avengers or or what have you. Uh, I thought that was just adorable, yeah. uh, and also just a really good way to to inject some some character flaws, honestly, into the character of Thor. I I thought that um 
one of my favorite other podcasts, uh, and, and where we had actually uh, one of their hosts, Matt Carroll, on the show, um, the um, Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, uh, I was listening to one of their discussions about this movie uh, earlier today, and they made a great point that um, in a lot of ways, Thor in other movies had felt very Shakespearean. Um, and that was kind of a fun role, especially in the Avengers and the way he played, like his sort of formality and grandiosity played off against Tony Stark. Um, but here he felt a lot more down to earth. You know, he felt a lot more almost kind of like, you know, well-meaning frat boy <laughs> than, than um, um, Shakespearean. And I, and, I, and I really appreciated that. I thought it was a nice way to see a different side of that character and, and you don't see a lot of real growth for that character. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to drop this on you because uh, I'm not sure what the answer is. But did you see any of the there? There was like one or two short films that were made to to lead into Ragnarok about Thor uh, living with somebody. I think in Australia for for a time. Oh yes, those um, were hilarious. Just kind oh of a, God, a normal but... workaday guy who's just not yep. quite knowing how to deal with this person in his house. Yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> the the line, uh, you know. The brain is a muscle, and this is a muscle, and this is a muscle, so I'm covered in brains, and therefore yep. smarter than you. It's just, oh, it was great. <laughs> great. Uh, well, and so let's talk about the, the value of a movie like this, and, and just kind of frame it. Let, let's, let's flip it on its head. Uh, obviously, I think we both like the kind of serious movies because, you know, that's what this podcast is all about. But, but for you, why do you enjoy those kind of movies? Why do you enjoy the superhero movies that, that leave you thinking, not just enjoying the explosions and the fight scenes? For me, I I really like, uh, and this is a, a conversation I've had with with many people recently, and it's part of why I I enjoy doing this podcast, is I like taking media that I've consumed, and I don't like I don't like the experience of that media, my, my personal experience of that media, to end when whatever I'm viewing has ended, yeah, or whatever I've experienced has ended. I want to share that and share thoughts on that with other people. So the richer the material is usually, the more the more nuanced or the more uh, problems we can talk about, how, how things yeah. didn't make us feel comfortable or things were um, things were uh, done in an ethically challenging way. Uh, anything like that leads me with uh, more material to talk about, more things to sink my teeth into when I have those conversations with other people who've also experienced the media. Right. There's, uh, so there's I, only so far you can go in a conversation of, wasn't that a great fight scene? You know? Yeah, exactly. So, so I'm not to, to bash on Michael Bay, but I'm going to bash on Michael Bay. Uh, <laughs> I walked out of the first Transformers movie with none of that material. It's just like, there's nothing to talk about. I actually just didn't like the movie. Yeah. So I guess there was that to talk about, but like it, it just, it didn't do that for me. The reason why I like those those types of films, of TV shows, of media, is that it allows for more of those type of conversations. It allows for the experience to be ongoing, yeah. uh, if you will, uh, so that it, it, it's like a conversation starter. It's it's a way that I can connect with other people and get their thoughts and, and talk about things uh, outside of themselves. Yeah, and I think I, I, I'm definitely the same way, and I've, I've told the story on the blog before about how my mother got me into Star Trek, um, because what she loved was the way Star Trek held up a mirror to her own world, and it would say, let's look at a planet and what kind of racial situation they have, and then use that to ask, you know, what is our racial situation on Earth like? And, and it's funny, I, I didn't think of superhero movies as being able to do that, 
I, I, I loved the Christopher Reeves Superman movies as a kid. I had a lot of fun with the, um, the Michael Keaton uh, um, Batman movies uh, and the later Batman movies uh, of that genre. We will say as little of as possible. Um, but I didn't really know – because I, I didn't read comic books, which I know had a lot of real depth to them. I didn't really know just how deep you could go with superhero movie stories until I saw The Dark Knight. Um, because The Dark Knight was really the first time I was like, whoa – this is not just a movie about cool gadgets and fight scenes. This is a really in-depth discussion of the nature of justice and punishment and, and crime and vigilantism and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I, I'm with you about the, um, the real kind of value to those movies. Um, and, and I say that to kind of set up the flip side of – so for that, um, obviously those are, are great things to have. But I think we're talking about that, that – that Thor is a reminder that we don't want every movie to be like that. Um, is that where, where, do you, where do you feel about that? So I, I do and I don't. Uh, mm -hmm. So here's the thing. I, I feel like there is there's enjoyment to be had. There is an experience that you can have and that you can share with others. Um, consuming a piece of media that perhaps doesn't have, doesn't feel like it has that kind of depth. Um, right. It is more in the realm of, of escapism in that sense, mm -hmm. right? So for those, it is more about just letting kind of, letting your brain shut off a little bit, letting your you experience a story uh, without the need to have to uh, without the need without the impetus to have like really deep meaningful conversations about what you just witnessed, right? And so again, for me that value really in in the in the fluffier pieces the the value is in the ability to not have to do that there's no there's no burden i don't like have the the drive to be like well now i have to spend another hour talking about this yeah and sometimes especially uh, as i as i led into this topic sometimes i get that uh i want that because i've dealt with too much mm. so because I've dealt with, you know, I, I've had something particularly uh, stressful at that point in my life, and I just, I need to disconnect. I need to shut it off and enjoy something. I mean, we've been talking about how, or at least I mentioned that, that, that these things can often hold a mirror up to our own world and make us think again about our own world. But sometimes that's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm someone who's very sort of politically involved on Facebook, and I do advocacy work um, as part of my uh, career. Um, and sometimes, and I'm sure a lot of other people feel the same way, I, I don't want to have the mirror held up. I do just want to be able to, like you said, just escape for a couple hours uh, and recharge. Uh, and I, and I, I definitely think that's a, a huge value to movies like this. Um, I, I think overall, I, I want this to be the decided minority of the kind of movies I watch I, I, and, and the kind of movies I want superhero stories to be. I really do love um, the, the deeper things. But, like, I remember last year um, when Deadpool came out, and that was just when I was getting this podcast started really off the ground, and I was deeply immersed in conversations about, you know, let's go – how deep can we go on the ethical questions in these things? And Deadpool came out, and I just had such a great time watching that movie, um, you know, a movie that, that you could have an ethical conversation about because there's a lot of ethical questions it raises and in some problematic ways. But I kind of think that was missing the point. To me, I just sort of had to actively tell myself, you know what? Deadpool is just a hilarious, funny, and great movie. I'm just going to enjoy it. Yeah, I felt much the same way. Uh, but 
leading into uh, some specific things about Thor Ragnarok, sure. it wasn't completely without uh, interesting things to talk about. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and one of the things we've got uh, listed here that, that I really am excited to jump into mm. is when we, we get the discovery of the hidden history of Asgard. And, and I would just say quickly, I, I think this is pretty clear to people who have listened to us before, but just to be sure, um, this podcast is going to spoil everything from Thor Ragnarok, everything from the other Thor and probably all the Marvel movies. Um, we're going to spoil the fact that Joel Schumacher did not make good Batman movies. Um, pretty much anything from any of these movies is going to get spoiled. So and just a heads up. We're reasonably likely to get a dig on Zack Snyder. That's that's very likely. Very likely. Um we don't have a 100% record anymore. We have once or twice let him go. But but anyway, so so for you, the, the Odin story, talk, talk, talk about that. Right, so it happens when uh, when Hela comes into uh, Valhalla. I don't actually know if the palace in Asgard is called Valhalla or not um, in the Thor universe. That, that I'll have to say, my, my knowledge is not great. But anyway, she comes into the palace in Asgard and is talking and sees the the mural up in the ceiling which is telling the history of of Odin's Asgard if you will mm. and she immediately goes that's wrong this is a pretty lie to cover up the truth and she peels away the the framework that's up there that that yep. has all of these pictures this uh this mural and underneath is a completely different story of uh, an Asgard led by Odin that was going out and conquering the realms and ruling the realms as this very uh, colonialist, imperialistic entity. Mm. Um, and for me, that was one of the few moments in the movie, one of the few elements of the movie that, uh, you know, th that was startling to me. That was something I was like, oh, goodness, yeah. uh, here's an interesting thing to talk about. Uh, this is a problem. That not only was Odin involved in these things, but neither Loki nor Thor were aware of it, and mm -hmm. Odin took active measures to wipe that sort that part of their history from public record. Yeah, I I thought that was such a fascinating turn for the story to go because, uh, and and it's funny because I remember you the origin of this podcast came when you and I were talking about um what should we do a podcast on next and we and and I I think we both kind of commented like. Well, we both saw Thor Ragnarok, and that was a great movie, but we certainly couldn't podcast about it. And, and then one of us went, well, well, but what about Odin and Revisionist History? And then someone else went, you know, what about Loki? And, then, and like, we got into, like, wait, actually, there's a lot here. And I think you were the one who brought up the, this Revisionist History point and that there's so much depth there. And I, I think you're right because, to me, one of the things I think is fascinating about the movie is it's not just making the point of, oh, this Revisionist History happened and it was bad. A lot of the theme of the movie is that history coming back, you know, that the attempt to kind of sweep everything under the rug ultimately is a complete failure. And is I, I think part of the implication of the movie is that 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 attempt to sweep the, the history under the rug instead of really reconciling with it and trying to deal with the history and try to deal with what does it mean to try to move away from that history, that that attempt is a big part of what causes the problems. Yeah. And so in that way. Odin is actually directly responsible for Ragnarok right. uh, coming to fruition, which is 
it feels a little like justice to me that no, no you have to own your past and deal with it or it it is going to come back to to bite you and that is exactly what happens um in in the form of a especially giant wolf named Fenrir in some cases yeah <laughs> especially because and i i thought um hello was a very fun villain i didn't think she was a particularly compelling or or that interesting villain except for in this part of the story because i found like there was very little about her that made me think okay she's got a point i'm sympathetic to her except in this because I can well understand the perspective of someone who says, you know, my own father set me this task. And in order to, like, do what my father wanted me to, in order to please my father and live out myself as, as the, the, the best, you know, servant of, of his kingdom that I've been taught to be, I'm going to become this warlike goddess of death because that's, that's awesome and that's helping Asgard. Um, and, and and granted, we get it from her side, and so I'm sure there's a lot more complexity. But the way she remembers it is, you know, she was doing exactly what she was taught to do, and then all of a sudden it wasn't okay anymore, and all of a sudden she was punished for it. Um, and and that, of course, does I, it doesn't make any of it okay, but it makes me a little sympathetic for her. It makes me a little understand where all of this resentment, especially at her two younger brothers, is coming from. Yeah, I'm actually going to challenge something you, you said uh, when you started that particular diatribe, diatribe? <laughs> probably not the right word I, I, uh, we, we both go on but, diatribes from time to time but yeah but, go ahead but uh i actually found uh hella to be a, a very strong very compelling villain mm. precisely for the reasons you ultimately got into yeah. um because again and this rides in on this point but when odin decides that decides he wants to change how asgard operates and Hela's like, uh, no, that this is working. Why wouldn't we keep doing this? Odin's solution to this problem is to be like, well, you're out, and I'm going to send an army of my finest warriors to kill you. Right. And the the fact that her response, her ambition from this is, okay, Odin, when you finally kick it, when you finally can no longer hold me back, I'm going to take that thing that you took from me back and I'm going to make it right. mine. And like, and, and I really appreciated the fact that like she actually presented so much of a challenge to Thor that Thor couldn't beat her. Uh, yeah. That to me like was, this, this is not a type of villain that Thor has had to deal with, right? Where he can't just overcome her with, with, all of his might and power. You get to the end of the film and he, you know, unleashes the, the power of, of thunder and lightning that he hasn't, you know, that has finally awoken within him that he can do it and he doesn't need any kind of channel or whatever for it. It's just mm -hmm. part of him. And I think he, the way he phrases it, I unleashed the biggest bolt of lightning that's ever been unleashed upon anyone. And she's just shrugging it off. Yeah. And to me that like, it presented a great source of conflict for Thor and in the form of a villain that I can have some sympathy with, that she's not two-dimensional. I, I can see that. I, I, I think, I mean, even as I'm saying that, I find it interesting that I'm saying, here's this villain who's very sympathetic. I, I still just didn't find her very compelling on screen. I think it may have been because for so much of her time on screen, she didn't really have a foil to work against. She was just kind of surrounded by minions monologuing. Um, but but I think that's more what I mean, because I do completely agree with you. Her story is one that is incredibly compelling, both in and of itself and also for what it does for Thor. Because one of the, 
I, I find the moment when um, I can never pronounce this right, but his hammer, Molyamir, I think, or I'm getting better. Mjolnir. Mjolnir, thank you. Um, when that hammer is destroyed, there's such an interesting symbolism there because so much of what you know that hammer is so tied in with Thor's place in Asgard. You know, and that when Odin in the first movie said that Thor wasn't worthy of his place in Asgard. That's when he couldn't pick up the hammer and when, you know, and it's all tied up in this mythology of Asgard as this good and right place. And she is not only destroying his hammer, but she's also destroying his, she's literally pointing out that it's mythology. She's, she's pointing out that the vision that, that, um, you know, Thor and Loki have always had of this kind of perfect world is actually completely built on a lie. Right. And uh, the destruction of Mjolnir actually starts the progression of, of this. It, the, the movie Thor Ragnarok is actually all about change. Mm-hmm. And the destruction of Mjolnir is the first part of the process of, of systematically taking away things from Thor that define him. Yeah. And, and, and destroying the Thor that we knew to then introduce us at the end of the movie to the Thor that he becomes, where he's lost his hammer, he's lost his hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that uh, also very scene actually symbolic. has a fair amount of symbolism played completely for laughs, but has some some symbolic meaning in, in some cultures, and then loses an eye, yes, uh, yeah. like his father before him. Mm-hmm. No, and I think that's true. And I, um, you know, one kind of to jump into one of the other topics we're going to get at, but I think I think it's it's very relevant to this, and, it, and there's a connection I, I'm just making now. As part, I, I one of the other things I thought was really interesting was the change and shift in the relationship between Thor and Loki, um, especially in the that on some level it seems like Thor comes to understand his brother is who his brother is, and it's always going to be that way. And, and there's always going to be sort of need to be to be careful around Loki, but there's also some some degree of acceptance of Loki and, and acceptance of Loki, kind of doing the best he can with with who he is. Um, yeah, I want to dive in further on that, but there's there's one point on the revisionist history that I want to make sure we talk well, about. Well, let me, let me just connect this to the revisionist history, and then we can put it aside, because to me this is mostly about the revisionist history, is I, I wonder if, and tell me if you agree, part of the the history that he had gotten is, you know, Asgard good, Asgard right, and in that framework, Thor good, Loki bad. And I'm wondering if maybe part of what's happening is, as that kind of all this mythology about you know, what is good and bad in Asgard is being swept away, that that's part of what's allowing Thor to, to reframe his understanding of Loki. Yeah, I like that. That it 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 puts a completely different context to their upbringing. Like, a, a portion of their upbringing has been a lie, and so it allows him to reevaluate his relationship with Loki and Loki as a person, being like, well... I had my father, I had a vision of Odin as this sort of paragon figure who I had personal problems with, but who, you know, never did anything uh, wrong or evil. Find out that's not true, and so he can see Loki, and he can see shadows of, of the father he now knows he had in right. Loki, and and see, you know, what his father became as someone he did respect and admire. Well, and especially because so much of that brother relationship was built up in you know, Asgard good, Storm Giant bad. And once we really start to morally question the Asgardians, it, I think it just makes the, the relationship between the two of them so much more morally complex in ways I really loved. Um, 
But as you said, we'll get into that. What, what was the other um, stuff about revisionist history you wanted to talk on? So the, the last point, and this is the only thing from the movie of Thor that really troubled me, and I wanted to, to get your thoughts on it. Mm -hmm. uh, do, you, do you think it's a problem that the movie didn't spend a whole lot of time dwelling on the fact that, that Odin did this, that Odin went, nope, I'm going to rewrite uh, the history of Asgard so that it's all roses and sunshine and we are just the, the righteous protectors of the Nine Realms and there's nothing else going on here. And like we get it in the one scene with Hela and a couple of other lines that, that she pays, but not much more dialogue and not much more mm -hmm. of, of people's actions really pay service to the fact that this is a problem. Well, and I think here this gets back to that question we started with, because for me, there were two issues that on that because I love the depth, I would have loved to see them explore a lot deeper. Um, one is this revisionist history. The other is the way Bruce Banner is dealing with the, the pretty traumatic things that happened to him when he was forced to become Hulk at the end of Ultron, Avengers 2. Um, both of those subjects, I would have loved to see a lot more depth and a lot more exploration of. But I think that's where we come back to, if we had had that, now we don't have the fluff movie that we were just saying before we kind of enjoyed. Um, and, and, and here's where the frustration is, because even as much as I enjoy the fluff and the candy, I, I, I agree with you. I would have – there is so much depth to that revisionist history, and part of me was like, how can you just brush that off? But I had to remember, like, that's – in the ideal story, that's what I would have gotten, but that was very much not the movie this was trying to be. Right. And kind of in the moment, it's not the movie that I wanted to see. Yeah. So there's some value in in it not being explored. And, the, you know, as long as it was a, a conscious choice on the part of the movie makers, yeah. I think it's totally respectable. It's totally reasonable that not everything has to be, you know, this incredibly heavy uh, philosophical uh, treatise. Well, and I will say, here's my hope, because obviously the, these characters' stories are not done yet. Um, you know, as we saw at the very end of Thor, um, you know, I, I, most most people believe that the, that the ship that they saw is it's either Thanos' ship or it's the Guardian of the Galaxy ship. It's probably Thanos' ship. But, but clearly, Thor and Loki are going to be key parts of the Infinity War going forward. And I imagine, especially because that movie is, is very much supposed to be much darker, much deeper, um, uh, on kind of Civil War levels, if not even more so, my hope is that, that somewhere in that movie, as Thor and Loki are finding themselves and finding a new way to, un to relate to each other, and, and as Asgard is literally finding itself again uh, as a refugee nation, I hope that some part of that movie will be them wrestling with this question. Um, because you're right, it is, and, and it's one that, you know, I, I talked before about holding up the mirror. To me, this is an issue with incredible relevance for us today. You know, as we, as we look at, you know, all the things that are happening because of, you know, the southern part of our country not really coming to terms with its history of slavery. And, um, you know, Thanksgiving is a time when we always remember, like, to, to me, when, if, when you said the words revisionist history, the first thought I have is about Thanksgiving, you know, and yeah. how much... We in this country have done the exact same, and we have covered up that history and tried to tell ourselves this very beautiful, pretty history of how we dealt with the natives in this country and things like that, and, and covered up the fact that we were an imperialist nation for a long part of our history, and, and by some definition still are. And that's all coming back to haunt us in the ways that it is in, in, in this movie. 
you know. So I, I, I do definitely hope it gets wrestled with because I think it's it's not only an interesting issue, but I think it's an incredibly relevant one. All right. I know you want to talk about Banner. Uh, let's let's talk about Bruce Banner. Oh well, actually, I I brought it up in there to say we can kind of skip over it, but I but I I, I will I will touch on it. Yeah, I think it's I I to me when I one of the things that really troubled me about Age of Ultron was the way in which he was pretty much forced to become Hulk when he was so clearly not wanting to do that. Um, and, and I thought I I can understand the rationale in a sort of like. Is it okay to violate one person's rights if it helps save, like, humanity or at least the entire population of a city or a country? Um, but it's such a deep question that I would have wanted to see it wrestled with more. And I – while, again, it only kind of did lip service, I did really appreciate that this movie took a moment to remind us that Banner was really troubled by it. you know, And the idea that he just kind of stayed as Hulk for this long time because he just didn't even want to think about what had happened to him. Um, and that when he goes back, he's really troubled by it. Um, like with the revisionist history, I wanted to see more about it, but I, I did really appreciate that they touched on that. What I appreciate the most is that um, he makes a comment late, uh, toward the end of the film that he's not certain if he if he transforms into the Hulk again. When, when we get a mom- uh, some moments of Bruce Banner, he's not certain if he transforms into the Hulk again if he'll ever if he'll ever return or if he'll just remain the Hulk forever. He's yeah. very worried about it, and at the at the end of the film, nobody pushes him into mm-hmm. becoming the Hulk to help. He makes the conscious decision that it is worth it in that instance to save you know a civilization that's completely alien to him to yeah. to try to help people out. Um, and I loved the fact that it was his choice. Mm. And yeah. that was something that I agree we didn't get that in in Age of Ultron, that you know they were using both sides of him, uh, right? They were taking advantage of of him as a scientist, but they also like sometimes needed him to be the Hulk, mm-hmm. and he was only comfortable with one of those roles. And and here I'll admit is one of the moments when I was most conflicted about do I want this movie to be pure humor or do I want it to have some depth, because. The moment in which he decides willingly to become Hulk again, on the one hand, could have been played for such drama and such a powerful, like, goosebump, tear-evoking moment. On the other hand, what they do with it, in that moment when he leaps off to try and become the Hulk and just smashes his Bruce Banner into the bridge, is probably one of the funniest moments in the movie. (laughs) Uh, And and I thought it was – to me, in that moment, I was so conflicted because – I laughed harder than I had in, in probably many other point in the movie, and I also thought you completely just stepped on one of the most emotionally significant moments in the movie. Yeah, and I think they, they again that was sort of done intentionally because they it, it the entire movie presented itself as as lighter, right? Yeah. And they didn't want to give us that they wanted to be able to buy the heavy implication of of that such that we weren't left with a sinking feeling when he makes that decision. So they had to kind of steal some of that drama away mm-hmm. to not make the movie make a sudden heel turn from being, you know, kind of lighthearted and fun to, oh, maybe we maybe we just lost somebody forever. Yeah. But it still hit me pretty hard, actually, that, mm. that like, what was interesting is that I think that the, the moment that hit me hard was not when... You know, he actually made the transformation. It's before he jumps out of the craft, because mm-hmm. it's very clear to me what he's going to do. I can see that. So at that point, 
that's the drama for me, and then the rest of it is just consequence. And then, yeah, they immediately give us a slapstick moment, I think, to try to, to, to reel that back in. Yeah, but I, I I'm not that. a movie maker. What do I know? <laughs> oh, come on. Our, this entire podcast is based on us criticizing the production of things we know absolutely nothing how they're made. So that's... I don't know what start... you're talking about. I'm a, I speak with, with very clear, very firm authority about, well, absolutely nothing, if I'm being honest. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think, I think like, like what we just said about um, the revisionist history, because, again, this is, this is such an important issue in our own world, you know, just in terms of, uh, you know, how does one balance, you know, recognizing that their own rage can be a force for good, but their own rage can be a really destructive force. That... That, to me, is an issue with so much relevance in our world. And just the question of, is it okay to to literally sacrifice someone or to force them to do something they absolutely don't want to do if it's going to save this much, you know, because, because I'm, I'm deeply troubled by what Natasha does. I'm not positive it was wrong. I, I think it is, but I'm not positive because I definitely understand the, like, we needed Hulk to beat Ultron and to save these millions of people. Um so like with revisionist history, I'm really hoping that they at least at the moment when 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 Bruce and Natasha are first back in in a, in, in a room together in in Infinity War, I, I hope they don't just ignore this, and I hope that that something happens there. Yeah, I, I want to see some payoff. Yeah. Um. So let let's get into that last issue we talked about, which we, which we touched on some, but I think there's so much depth there. Um. What did you think about the way they developed the relationship between Thor and Loki in this movie? The the value that Loki has. Or the Thor Loki relationship has for me is that we get a a really good portrayal of the the best of friends worst of enemies dichotomy, and in that way, for for Thor and Loki specifically, uh, for this movie, one of the things I loved is that we get a moment where Thor uh, communicates to Loki and and accepts Loki for who he is, embraces him for who he is rather than wanting him to change or, or be better or be quote-unquote good or, or right or pure or whatever moniker you want to apply to it. Uh, and, and in that moment going, you know, I knew you were going to do this. I plan on you doing this. I'm okay with it. It's not going to work out for you. <laughs> but just, like, there was no hatred. There was no anger. And we've seen it prior to this point. Thor's gotten, you know, upset with Loki for, for betraying him again and again or lying to him again and again. And here he's all like, no, that's just who you are, and I still love you. Yeah. I I, 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 I thought that was a really beautiful moment, and it, it reminded me of, the, there's an old proverb that is sometimes ascribed to, to Native American uh, uh, philosophy. I have no idea if that's true or if that's just kind of um, cultural appropriation of some kind or another, but the, the, the proverb is about you know, a person who, who hates a scorpion because a scorpion can sting him and kill him and, and comes to realize that, that that is just the scorpion doing what the scorpion should do and that you can recognize that scorpion's dangerous and you can take steps to protect yourself and to protect your loved ones from the scorpion and to not create a situation where it can sting you, but you don't have to hate it. You don't have to think, especially, and you can recognize that it, it has a place in the larger world. It's just one that, that can be dangerous to you. Um, and, and that's kind of what I kept thinking of as I watched Thor and Loki, is Thor kind of coming, like you said, coming to understanding of, this is my brother, I love him, and, and I, I don't think Thor's ever going to trust Loki entirely. Um, I think clearly Loki has the Tesseract, um, that's, that, 
that seems very yeah. strongly implied. And I think Thor that, is going to be That's incredible. good, because then it's in a potentially secure location until Thanos eh, gets it. I think Loki's going to hand it over to Thanos. I, I disagree that ahead. Loki's going to hand it over to Thanos. Uh-huh. Well, I'll, I'll be curious we'll, we'll see. see what I, happens. I certainly think Thor would, would not trust Loki with it, if he knew. Um, but I think Thor would also sort of say... I, at this point, I don't think Thor would say, oh my god, Loki, how could you be so terrible as to steal it? Thor would say... You know what? I sent you into the palace where the Tesseract is. That's my bad. Of course you stole it. Uh, hand it back over now, please. Yeah, I, I don't know. I actually think that uh, this this new Thor might go, you know, I wouldn't know what to do with it. And if it's in your hands, at least effectively you're the devil that I know. Mm-hmm. Um, at any rate, getting back to the, to the point where we were making, uh, I think there's yeah. a lot of value actually in in giving us the story of of a hero embracing somebody with with all of their flaws with everything about them that that they find troubling rather than in spite of everything right this idea that uh that he is actually accepting loki uh which is just very powerful it's a powerful idea yeah i i like that a lot especially from the perspective of recognizing not only that accepts him in, in not only accepting him with his flaws, but also recognizing that his Thor, his flaws can have some real value sometimes. You know, I mean, Loki gets that ship because he's able to do some of the things that Thor couldn't do. Um, you know, we, we, we've been on kind of a Harry Potter kick in a lot of our recent episodes, but but in some ways, to me, they're kind of quintessential uh, Gryffindor and Slytherin. Um, with with Loki, I, I don't think every Slytherin has to be quite as evil as Loki. As um, curiously you know, up to and including their curiously up to and including their color palettes oh yeah you're right i never thought uh-huh. about it it's so true i mean loki loki gets a little bit of gold which should be silver but like still very yeah. it's it's fascinating the instant you said that i was like wait a minute yeah the color, other than the yeah. fact that they've swapped the silver and the gold they are literally the colors of slytherin and gryffindor and and that's something that i think because loki does have that you know, and, and and I don't know much about Norse mythology, but I've certainly spent a good deal of time with those who are, who are very invested in it. And that and that was one thing that I often heard is that there's that that from the mythological side of it, there's an understanding among the gods of okay, Loki is a lot of trouble, but sometimes we need him. You know, because sometimes he's willing to do the thing that someone as honorable as Thor would never do, and and sometimes you need to be a little sneaky to get what's 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 done what's needed to get done. Right, but. Uh, let's be clear here, we're not saying necessarily that some of the things that Loki does, or potentially will do, or has done, uh, are forgivable, necessarily, yeah. right? Just that there is, uh, there's an understanding, clearly, between Thor and Loki now that wasn't there before. Um, and I think in that way, uh, it might incent Loki to meet Thor halfway, yeah. right? To understand that, yep. Yeah, I could do this thing, and this is the most efficient way to get what I want, but there's actually value in maintaining this relationship with my brother, you know, and maybe he'll, it'll be for selfish reasons that, like, he's a powerful ally, and I don't actually want to get rid of that. But that's a good thing if it stops Loki from doing something that is, you know, deeply problematic or, or uh, creates mm-hmm. uh, cre- creates a giant issue or, or makes it so that Thor now has to fight Loki well, especially so, because, and, and this kind of ties it back to that, that the first point we talked about, you know, 
Loki, in some ways, is kind of like Hela in that he has always had this, um, you know, anger at how much his brother Thor is praised for being right and good. And, and I, I feel like Loki, to some level, I'm sure Loki didn't know about the history of Hela and all of that. But I felt like Loki always suspected that there was something a little bit darker behind the vision of Asgard, the good and pure. You know, and he and and and, uh, and his to some extent in the first and second movies, you know, he confronts his father about the lies told about uh, Loki's own childhood and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like Loki, for similar and for similarly sympathetic reasons, has always had this huge resentment against Thor, because Thor represented the Asgard that. Loki didn't fully believe in and that absolutely shut Loki out. And I wonder if with that story now gone, to some extent, not only can, can Thor see Loki in new eyes, but maybe that, that Loki can see Thor in new eyes, and that Loki can, can, can sort of feel a little bit vindicated that things were never quite as good and pure as Odin and Thor believed, and that maybe, therefore, there's a little more of a, a place for the two of them to find a middle ground. I, I may be very much headcanoning there. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm right seems... there with you. Uh, yeah. I, you know, as somebody with a brother, I like these kinds of stories, especially when there's some conflict between the two of them, but they work it out and, are, and have an even stronger I... relationship afterward for it. And the more they fight, the more they become connected and realize that they in some ways complete each other in other ways complement each other and are, are just stronger together than apart and, and, and that's something i was going to go back to um and, and that's a good way to end into my my final question so we want to keep this a shorter episode we should be wrapping up soon what do you want to see um happen with thor and loki and and the asgardians going forward in the new movies we've talked about it a little but what but for you what what would you like to see as for the so, follow-up to this movie. So the the bomb they dropped on us at the end of that that I think is going to cause some some big issues, are is that the the Asgardians are migrating now to to Midgard, which is Earth. Uh, Midgard's got a lot of problems. Uh, remember, this is all in the same universe as Agents of Shield and etc. at all, uh, and having a, a mass migration of these very powerful individuals, even, even, you know, your quote base level as guardian unquote are, you know, they're like people with superpowers to, to you or I, mm-hmm. um, there's, that's an issue. They need to find a home. Their home can't be earth. And I don't know how that's going to resolve, but I would like them to be, I would like them to be able to find a place to live that they're not like, they don't end up being this nomadic civilization like the, um, oh goodness, why can't I remember their name in Mass Effect? They made the Geth, um, goodness. But anyway, they're, they're a, uh, nomadic race, um, mm-hmm. that lives in, in ships, and that's, that's, like, their thing is that they, they live entirely on their navy, um, and I don't want the Asgardians to become like that, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a real potential for colonialism there. You know, I mean, you've got this group of people who they're just like, yep, we're going to go to Earth and set up. Sorry, they're, okay. they're called the Corians. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's a real colonialism potential there, you know, that I was sort of thinking of as I was like watching them be like, Earth, let's go and settle on Earth. And I was thinking, 
how are the people on Earth going to feel about that? And, and is that a concern we should be talking about? Um, so yeah, I, I'm really interested to see where that goes. I'm really interested to see what happens with, um, as I said, the, these issues that we, um, you know, that, 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 that got touched on. And I, in the end of the day, I'm, I think I'm glad that Thor didn't go deeper on them. But, I, but, but they brought them up enough that I really hope one of these next movies goes deeper on them. Um, oh, you so I know. think there's so much there to unpack. No, no. Getting getting back to sorry. Uh, no, getting back to the to the Asgardian migrants uh, problem. They are effectively looking to immigrate to Earth. Mm-hmm. So that's a way that I could see the story going that I would find very very interesting and and I would like to see is if we explore some of the some of the issues that uh, we as a society have when we're dealing with immigration. Uh, yeah and the conflicts that 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 creates in in our culture uh in dealing with these with these um extraterrestrial immigrants mm. uh and obviously it's going to be uh, blown up because of the capabilities of of these people but it, it's it's the same idea right they they come from a place they need a new home and, and it's funny because when you were saying when you're saying like e- e- extraterrestrials and, and stumbled a bit over the start of the word what I thought you were going to say was Exodus, because to oh. me that's that's exactly the story that comes to mind for me is of you know a wandering people looking for a homeland, um, uh, especially because like in in thinking about the story uh, of the the Exodus obviously being the, the migration of the Jewish people out of Egypt into um, uh, into what the what is now Israel according to the story, you know that's often lifted up as a great story of of immigration and finding a new home and liberation. And I know a lot of people who look at that story and think, well, but what about the Canaanites who lived there and just got totally, you know, displaced? And that's not a great view of it. So, yeah, I think that that, that the settlement of the Asgardians can be both a really interesting story and one that that really has a lot of relevance to our own world um, in the way all these things I want them to be. I think it's a good idea to end on. Uh, yeah. We, we're right about at the point where we're almost not making a short episode. So... <laughs> Yep, we're, we're just passing about 50 minutes, so I think this is a good time to stop. Um, so, um, thank you guys all for listening. I hope this was a, a good episode. Um, mostly, I hope you loved the heck out of Thor, but but I'm also curious what you guys think about some of these questions. Um, how did you think about the revisionist history? Were you uh, First of all, I'm curious, I don't know the comic books, so for some of you who are more comic book uh, uh, fans, is this a story you already knew, or was this a new take? Uh, that's something I honestly don't know, if this sort of secret history of Asgard um, had not been explored. Um, let us know. Talk to us about what you think about Loki and Thor and where you think that's going to go. Um, as always, you can find us um, uh, at Superhero Ethics on both Facebook and Twitter. Um, both me and Jacob uh, check that pretty regularly, and, and uh, we've had some um, people post some great comments and get into some great discussions with us that, that we always enjoy. And as Jacob said, the, the great thing about going to, to, to media is to, to get to keep talking about it with people. So please join in the discussion, um, and please tell your friends about it. We have been getting a great uptick in numbers uh, in terms of our listeners. Uh, we're just about getting uh, um, we're getting more and more, and I would love to see those numbers keep going up. So um, if you like this episode, if you, if you think other people are interested in it, share it with someone. Um, you know, forward it uh, to them through through the, the webpage or through Facebook or just tell them to find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, we'd love to get more people listening. We'd love to get more people into the conversation. Um, so thank you guys again for listening. Thank you for um, uh, being a part of this, and we will talk to you more soon. Bye-bye.
I think it's a testament to the longevity of this podcast that uh-huh. we were able to talk for 45 minutes about a movie we both agreed was fluff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I think that that says two things. A, is that there's a lot more to the movie than, than just fluff. But B, you and I are both really good at bullshitting. <laughs> <laughs>